The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. All right, if you've got Bibles, let's grab those and go to Nehemiah chapter 4. I am super excited for today. I hope you are too, because uh, we are getting into the thick of it. Say, into the thick of it? Into the thick of it? Got a little backyard again there for you. I'll tell you what, uh, Uh, We've been going through the book of Nehemiah uh, for five weeks now since the beginning of the year. Uh, And uh, let me just give you a a snapshot if you're just now joining us. And so uh, uh, Nehemiah is written about 450 years uh, before Christ comes. And and the people, uh, they've been exiled uh, through a a bunch of... uh, uh, encounters with foreign lands, and they've, they're, they're carried off into captivity, and now what they are is, is uh, half of them are kind of uh, in, in, in enslaved by the Persians, okay? Uh, and so Nehemiah, uh, he's a man of God who's serving as a cupbearer uh, to uh, the Persian king, um, and so some of the people the king allowed to actually return back to Jerusalem. And so in Jerusalem, there's people that are there, and they're, they're starting to work to try and get the temple back open, try to get a worship of God to happen, uh, and yet they're, they're, they're there for about 100 years, and they just keep facing opposition after opposition after opposition, and they really haven't made much progress. And so Nehemiah, who is still in exile to the king, he gets the report from his boys that come and say, hey, the city's not doing good. They say, actually, uh, the city's burnt down, right? The, 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 the city's in shambles. The gates are burned. And, and the people that are there in the land, they're just not thriving. The, the worship of God just really isn't happening the way it should. And so what's happening is Nehemiah actually has a broken heart over the fact that the city lies in ruins and the people of God aren't flourishing. And so honestly... Nehemiah, he begins to pray to God. And he begins to ask God, and and he, in his prayer, feels like God is calling him to do something about it. And so God is putting a fire necessarily in his heart, uh, and and he's asking the Lord to move miraculously the only the way that God does. And so uh, I tell you that because we're in a world where if you honestly look around into our our community, we, we see something very similar uh, to that of Nehemiah. And what I mean by that is not that all the houses are burned down and the streets are in rubble, but rather when we look at our, our culture, there's a lot of brokenness, amen? I mean, there's brokenness in our relationships with each other. There's brokenness in the homes. There's brokenness uh, in the marriages. There's brokenness uh, in our relationship with God. And the worship of God, particularly in our culture, is not flourishing. And the people of God aren't flourishing the way that God's people ought to flourish. And so what we're doing at LifePoint Church, really starting this year, is we're making an effort to say, God, what would you have for us? God, what are you calling us? How are we, how are we being used by God to, to really make a difference? And we, and we kind of term that in two different visions, or, or one vision per se. It is to rebuild the family and launch a legacy. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the law, or the, the wall. And what happens is a legacy is being launched into generation after generation. And so Nehemiah, feeling this compelling move of God, he goes to the king. And he says, King, I have a request. 
God is calling me back to my hometown. Of course, he is a slave and he is a servant to the king. And so he makes this miraculous request. All right, and upon this request, the king actually grants him his request. And so what he does is the king actually sends Nehemiah out with authority, with money, with resources, and with about 12 years of paid PTO. All right, and so, and so that is, you know, a move of God. And so he sends him out to rebuild the wall. And so you have to ask the question, why would a king who relies on this man who faithfully serves him, why would that king actually send him away? Well, the Bible tells us it's because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. And so no one else gets the credit except for God and God alone. And so, listen, in... In a hundred years, the people have been returned. And so you have to ask the question, man, isn't that enough time to get the construction done? Like a hundred years, that's a long time, amen? I mean, we, we, we live in St. Louis, so we know what this is like. I mean, they, they work on the highway for about a hundred years, and they get like a two-mile stretch done. Right? It's like that. And so, and so Nehemiah is there and you're thinking, okay, well, why, why is it taking so long? Why is the, why is the wall and the, and the city still in ruins? Well, are the people just lazy? Well, what we're going to see, really, if you read the book of Ezra, which is a parallel account to Nehemiah, what you're going to read is that there are some faithful people who are really working hard to do their best to honor God. Yet what happens is they're facing great opposition. And so today, I wanna to talk to you guys about how we rebuild in the face of opposition. And so they've encountered some great problems. And so let me put this in a capsule for you. All that to say is that the people of God have real opponents. And some of those opponents are very physical, Meaning there are people with particular agendas that are opposition to what God wants to do. But some of the opposition is not just physical but spiritual. Are you with me on that? And so what we see in the Bible is that God has an enemy. And the enemy is actually named. Not as often as you would think, but his name is Satan and Lucifer and the evil one. And, and a lot of times we kind of shy away because it's kind of mysterious or, or mystic. But in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, actually, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there. That was uh, the moment where he cast him down. And so there is this evil, there is this darkness, and there is this battle, there is an opposition that not only God faces, but God's people face. Are you with me on that? And, and so, listen, sometimes when we think of that, we think of like, like the, 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 the evil movies that come out in October, right, with the, with the head spinning around and the eyes glowing, right? I mean, that is demonic, but that's not really what we face, because how many of you know if you saw that, you'd be like, I'm done, I'm out, right? That's good, right? But, but, it's actually, the, the, the battle that we're in is actually a little more uh, harder to, to figure out. And, and so in 2 Corinthians 11, it tells us that the opposition will come from false teachers. The opposition will come from deceitful workmen. And it will come from those who actually disguise themselves as men of God or apostles or Christians. Now that's a little scarier, isn't it? 
Verse 14, it goes on, and it says, well, no wonder that's the case. No wonder, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15, so it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So let me give this to you. There will be opposition against God, and there will be opposition against God's people. And there is a particular purpose in this opposition to lead people astray, to actually lead people out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. How does he do that? By bringing counterfeit religions, counterfeit accusations, and bringing lies to the people of God. And so it's disguised as godly. But it's not in line with the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God has a people. God has an enemy, which means God's people also have an enemy. Are you with me on that? And so if you're a Christian and you're living for the glory of Christ and the name of Jesus, the Bible tells us that you can actually expect opposition. And so now maybe some of your struggles are starting to make sense, right? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? Why? Because if you're living for the glory and the name of Jesus Christ and you're living with or beside people who are not for the glory of Jesus Christ, there's going to be this friction, amen? There's going to be this frustration. And so in chapter 4, Nehemiah runs into very, very real opposition. Now, I don't want to just allegorize this chapter and make it something it's not. But I do want us to help us see through the lenses of biblical understanding that behind men who oppose God's work is a spiritual force that actually opposes God. And this enemy is working to disrupt and to divide the people who ultimately want to control the people rather than see the people thrive and flourish in the name of Christ. So in fact, before Nehemiah enters into Jerusalem, there's a prophet named Zechariah. Everyone say Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet, and Zechariah has a vision. And he has a vision concerning the high priest at the time in Jerusalem whose name is Joshua. Say Joshua. So there's a prophet, Zechariah, who has a vision about Joshua. Joshua is named in Ezra 3 and Nehemiah 12. And, and Joshua, he wants the same thing as Nehemiah does. He wants to see the, the wall rebuilt. And he's been there for a while before Nehemiah shows up. And he's doing his best, but things just aren't going well. Now, look at how the prophet Zechariah pulls back the curtain, right, on the physical and points us to what's happening in the spiritual. I'm going to start in Zechariah chapter 3. This will be verse 1 through 4. It says this. Then he showed me Joshua. So this is Zechariah saying, I'm getting a vision and I see Joshua. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to do what? To accuse him. 
So he's getting this vision. Joshua, the high priest, is there. He's standing before the angel of the Lord, but right on his right side is Satan, and he's accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you is not a brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said... To those who are standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Now get this picture. Joshua, standing before the angel of the Lord, is there in front of him. But then to his right hand, there's an enemy, Satan, he's named, and he's there to do what? To accuse. To accuse him. And so while Joshua is facing earthly, physical troubles, there is a spiritual realm where there is a battle going on that's actually opposing him and opposing the work that he's trying to do for God. So the enemy is accusing Joshua, saying, no, 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 you have no right to be the high priest. You have no right to lead the people. You have no right to speak the word of God to the people. You have no right because look at your own sin. Look at your filthy garments. Look at what you've done. And the angel says, take those filthy garments off and I will take your iniquity. So this is not just an outward appearance. He's taking the iniquity of the man. He says, I will take your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with purity and with righteousness. Now, listen to me, friends, because that's the gospel. Because of our sin, we are clothed in guilt, and we are clothed in shame. And Satan comes, and he's pointing that out all the time. He looks at you, and he says, no, 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 you can't do that. You have no authority in that. You're not fit for the kingdom. You can't be involved. You can't do the work of God. Look at yourself. You're a mess. You're not approved. Yet the Bible tells us that actually when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, like the prodigal son, God says, hey, get the best Robes, get the shoes for his feet, put the ring on his finger, get the fatted calf, and we have to celebrate because this son of mine was lost, but now is found. He was dead, but now he's alive. That's what Christ does for us on the cross through his resurrection, that any and everyone who would come to him and confess his name as Lord and Savior, he will wipe away your iniquity, put it as far as the east is from the west. He will clothe you in clothes of righteousness and make you as white as snow. And that comes by Christ alone in faith alone. And so the point of all of that is to show us that behind your physical oppositions, behind your physical struggles, there is a spiritual opposition. And that Satan hates it when, God, when people of God commit their lives to the glory of God and the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And he hates it and he wants to do whatever he can to stop it. So he uses human division. He uses false gospel. But listen to me. 
he also uses your own flesh. He also uses your own flesh and brings that to the courtroom of accusations over and over and over again. So, we have an enemy because God has an enemy. And this enemy stirs up the world around us to just simply confuse us, to distract us, to delude us, to discourage us, and to control us. Does that sound familiar? So when we look to apply Nehemiah's opposition to our lives today, I want you to know that there's something bigger that's going on behind the curtain to keep you from living this rebuilding of a family and launching a legacy. There's a, there's, a, there's a force that wants to keep you oppressed. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. Now, when Sanballat, everyone say Sanballat. We saw him a couple chapters ago. He's a wicked man. Sanballat the Horonite, that's what he was called, heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. Okay, so Sanballat has control over the region. Okay, Sanballat has controlled the region for a long time. He controls who comes in and who goes out, who does what, who does this. And he controls the economic flow of the region. And let me tell you, he's getting very prosperous from it, right? He's making a lot from it. And so when he starts to see God's people thrive, he actually gets angry. And so there's this rebuilding of the family. There's the rebuilding of the city. There's the people coming together. And if that happens, he's going to lose his power. He's going to lose his control. And he doesn't like it. Does that sound familiar? Okay, time to wake up. Here we go. Verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So he's, he's got some boys with him now. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they even sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish and the burned ones at that? And then Tobiah, he's the sidekick. He's the second voice. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yeah, look at them. Look at what they're building. I mean, if a fox goes up on that wall, it'll break it down. And, and so there's this, there's this jeering, right? There's these accusations. There's these mockings. Bullies will only always want to gather an army around them. They'll want to start to mock. They'll want to start make accusations. They want to point fingers and wag tongues and send texts and emails and, and, and post things online. And then what he does is he'll go out of his way to actually find those who will stand with him so that they can, as a group, accuse and divide. But what does Nehemiah do? Well, look in verse 4. Hear, O oh our God. For we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sins be blotted from your sight. For they have provoked you. They have provoked you, O oh God, to anger in the presence of the builders. And so what are we to do 
when the enemy comes, when we're faced with opposition, when God's people are getting pushback, well, let me tell you, the people of God should go to God in honest prayer. See how honest he was? He's saying, God, they're despising you. They're despising us. This is the work that you've called us to, yet it makes them angry. And so let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't get out his soapbox and start going back and forth. He doesn't make a comment online and then react to the other comments. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't go back and forth. He doesn't say right or wrong. He doesn't exchange words. Nor does he simply just lay down and take it. Are you with me? And so we're not to just uh, lay down and take it, but we are to take it straight to the Lord. And say, Lord, this is, this is your battle. You're the only one who can deal with this. And I want you to deal with it according to your will because they're coming against you. And so deal with it, God. I'm giving it to you. And so this accusations, this jeering, it is evil. And listen, and it's not because Nehemiah is perfect. And it's not because the people are, are good or awesome. But rather because the focus is actually against the plan of God according to his word. And so what happens is these people are called by God, they're rebuilding, and it makes Sanballat angry because he wants to control, he wants authority, he wants status, and he's threatened by this move of God. So what does he do? He looks. Sanballat looks, and he tries to find people who are equally angry because he wants to put around him people for his own sense of security. And then he takes those people and he makes this new community of his own that will belittle and accuse and seek to divide and opposes the people of God and the work of God. And so let me just be very honest to you. I want you to listen to me very carefully. This jeering and these divisive accusations they have no place among the people of God. No place. So listen to me. Whether this opposition comes from within your family or outside of your family, whether this opposition comes from within the church or outside the church, whether this opposition comes from your own inner voice, your own inner monologue, our first reaction should always be to take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. If the enemy's whispering to you your own thoughts, your own uh, understanding, you're not good, you're not worthy, you're, you're broken, Take it to the Lord. But listen to me. And then move forward. And then move forward. Scripture tells us that we have an enemy and he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And he does it through lies, he does it through deception, he does it through confusion. And, and the Bible tells us that the, that the enemy, in Revelation, tells us that the enemy accuses the saints day and night, day and night, day and night, ever experience that accusation. And so that's because you know you're living for God because there's an enemy that's saying, oh, this is not right. And so some of you are like, yeah, I know that voice really well. And some of us, we allow that voice to linger. One, maybe because we haven't given it to God, or two, because we haven't given it to God and then move forward. And so actually, we start paying a lot of attention to this voice. We start paying a lot of attention to the threats. We start paying a lot of attention to, to the, the, the things that are going on within our own heart. And, and the spirit of the evil one is, is just saying, no, 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 you, you're filthy. You're not worthy. You're broken. You're covered in shame. You're a fraud. You're not qualified. You'll, you, God will never receive you. You'll never do anything of significance for the kingdom of God. You're actually worthless. Just look at that wall. If a fox goes up on it, it's going to fall to crumbles. Just look at your life. You're one moment away from just falling apart. Just look at your, your career. You're just one second away from that rock slipping out and everything's in shambles. Just look at your family. Look at your marriage. Look at your life. Your efforts are meaningless. You're hopeless. You're wasting your time with God. You're wasting your time with church. You're wasting your time with with prayer. Just give up. Walk away. It's pointless. It will never last. Ever heard that voice? Some of us have given way too much inner audience and attention to the sandbalots in your life or to Satan. Yet the Spirit of the Lord wants to set us free. Jesus says, reveal to them truth. Jesus says, your word is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says, you will receive the truth. The Spirit will reveal to you the truth and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, I will forgive you. Jesus says, when you come to me, I will bless you. I will build you up. There is a way forward through me. Jesus says, I'm the one who actually redeems the broken. I'm the one who rebuilds broken walls and broken lives. I'm the one who takes broken stones that are in rubbish and builds them up to a masterpiece for my glory. I'm the one who actually is the resurrection and the life, and I'm the only one who can resurrect your heart. I'm the only one who can resurrect the broken. I'm the only one that can do it. And listen, I want to do it with you. That's what Christ says. That's the voice of the word of God. That's the spirit of God saying, this is what I want to do. And then you have another voice on your right side accusing you and saying, no, 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 that's not true. And so Nehemiah, he knows the difference between the voices. He knows the difference between the Sanballats and the voice of the Spirit. He knows the difference between the accuser and the voice of the Redeemer. And so he responds with honest, vulnerable, raw, desperate prayer. And I love verse 6. It says, so we built the wall. The accusations come. The opposition comes. 
He prays. He gives it to God. And then we got busy. And then we built the wall. I love this. Do you love this? I hope you love this. Let me tell you what goes on in my mind when I read that. The opposition is like, oh, you can't do nothing. You're worthless. You're not good. You're a horrible leader, Nehemiah. You don't know what you're doing. Look at these people. They're all slums. They're all worthless. This whole thing is in shambles. He says, you can't build the wall. And Nehemiah's like, watch me. If you're from Wright City, it's hold my beer. You're like, you can't say beer in church. I just did twice, actually. <laughs> Nehemiah says, I've given it to God. He is my strength. I feel empowered. My confidence comes from my call. And then he rallies the people and builds the wall. He says, it says the people had a mind to work. And so after the accusations, after the oppositions, the people of God become more unified. The people of God become closer together. They're driven by vision and they're ready to do the work. Look in verse 7. It says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed and they were angry, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause, what's that word? And to cause confusion in it. They're all coming together and they wanna cause confusion. And so right here we see the point of the opposition. And that's to confuse. You know you're experiencing spiritual warfare when there's a focus against God's people and it starts to cause confusion. It causes confusion, it creates fear, and it discourages the joint work of God. And then comes one of my favorite verses in spiritual leadership. In verse nine it says, so we prayed. So we prayed to our God and we set a guard. We set a guard as protection against them that night. Here's the point. If you're taking notes, write this down. When the enemy accuses and confuses, we go to God in prayer and we get to work with prudence. We pray and we move forward. We move forward with the wisdom that God has given us. And now I understand that the, the situation escalated quickly, didn't it? I mean, it goes from accusations and jeerings and talkings about foxes and burnt rocks to actually we're gonna come kill you to a physical conflict. So when you face opposition from the evil one and you give it to God in prayer and you move forward with the call of God upon your life, the enemy actually gets even more erased and he doubles down and says, if you keep going, we're going to kill you. Sound familiar? It's coming. These guys, they escalate the situation and the actual plans of violent destruction. And so Nehemiah, 
he doesn't just sit by and do nothing. But what does he do? He prays to God, and then he sets up a guard. Listen to me. Setting a guard does not nullify his trust in God. One does not nullify the other. What this is, this is prayer and prudence. This is faith and wisdom. God gives both. Say amen. So so we take it to God, and then we respond with wisdom that God gives. And right, so because we don't just simply, uh, uh, don't have an, an honest view of God, what happens is we just do one or the other. And sometimes we just go straight to wisdom. Anyone have that default? Right, oh, this is a problem? Let's figure it out. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's the plan. They're surrounding us in the back. We're gonna flank them here. We're gonna put up this wall. We're gonna do the thing. Wisdom, right? And so a lot of us, we just, we just default to wisdom and we don't pray. And we don't pray because we don't really have an honest view of God and we don't have an honest view of our actual own weakness. The Bible calls that pride. And so we don't have an accurate view of God. We don't have an accurate view of our own weakness. And so what happens is we just go straight to planning. And in the end, the result is we don't actually experience the supernatural hand of God that was upon me. Right? Nehemiah just didn't pray. He prayed and he asked the king. There was an action to his prayer. Right? And so here's the thing. He prays and there's an action to the opposition. And he's working out the plan of God in the very lives of those who pray and act. And so while others of us pray and don't act in the same way we have this weird sense of God's sovereignty that our only spiritual activity is prayer. Now, we fight our battles on our knees, amen. And we give it to God. But there is a problem when all we do is just simply pray and then do nothing. We pray and then we forget about it. And we don't make plans by the Spirit of God to fight a good fight of faith. Part of fighting is praying. Part of fighting is putting on the armor of God. And so we pray and we fight the good fight. And so if we just simply pray and forget about it, we sit around and we wonder, why am I getting so beat up? Let me just bring it real personal. So there's a lot of times people will come to me and say, God, oh, pastor, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with, with lust. I'm struggling with, with, with uh, uh, just uh, some type of drinking. I'm struggling with my, my, my relationships. I'm struggling with all of these things. Or I'm struggling in this area. And, and, and I said, have you prayed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I I've prayed over and over again. I've asked God to just kind of take it away. And then I ask, like, have you set the guard? What? Well, what are you doing to fight against the temptation? What's the accountability in your life? 
Are you putting yourself in a, in a Christian community that will help build you up and, and stand fast with you? Oh, well, I just keep falling. Well, and I was like, well, what was your plan? Well, I prayed. Okay, you prayed, but what did God say to you when you prayed? Oh, I don't know. I just expected God to just remove the opposition. And God's like, but I gave you a guard. Why didn't you set the guard? Why didn't you put people around you that would help you so that you could keep building? And instead, you just, you just did nothing. Listen, okay, write this down. Get your phone out right now. This is going to be your moment, all right? Here it is. To take action without prayer is to be sinfully self-sufficient. But to pray and not take action is to be sinfully irresponsible. You are to trust God in prayer and then move forward in wisdom. We are to move forward by the Spirit using the available means that God has made available to you, namely the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Church of God, and we are to pray and move forward with the available means that God has given to you. To take action without prayer is to be sinfully self-sufficient. To pray and not take action is to be sinfully irresponsible. Let me put it to you another way. We never allow our total dependence on God, which we are, to promote irresponsible behavior. We never allow our total dependence on God to promote an irresponsible of behavior. So we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that we trust that God is in total and complete control. And we also know that God wants you and I to participate through prayer and prudence into what he's doing for the kingdom in this world. And so prayer makes known to us God's purposes. God, there's an opposition. I'm praying. I need to know what to do. And then prudence and moving forward in wisdom lets you participate in that purpose that he reveals to you. So let me ask, what are the enemy's oppositions that you're facing? What are the things you're going through? What does God want to do with your life that you're getting pushed back? Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a physical battle. Maybe it's, it's a health issue. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a battle for your heart. Maybe it's a battle for your affections. So instead of spending time building your heart upon God's word and prayer and fellowship, you just spend your time building other things. Maybe it's a battle for, for your finances. Maybe it's a, a battle in, in the relationships that you're in. Maybe it's a battle with your family. Maybe it's a battle with your marriage. Maybe, maybe the opposition comes because you're facing some brokenness and the enemy's like, oh no, it's too painful. What do we do? We pray. And then we obey God and move forward according to his word. Now listen. If your plan to move forward is in direct opposition to God's word, then either you haven't prayed 
or you're hearing the wrong voice. God's word is the ultimate authority. The Holy Spirit of God says that he will reveal to us the truth that is in his word. And so when we negate God's word and make a plan that is outside of God's word, either you haven't prayed and you just say you have, or you're hearing the wrong voice. Let's go, verse 10. In Judah, it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling or failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we ought not to be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, Don't, you must return to us. And so let me tell you what's happening right here. The people heard that Nehemiah was coming to rebuild the wall. And the people got excited. And they're like, I'm in. I'm going in. I'm going to help. And so they start coming from this direction and this direction and this direction. And they're like, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I get in? How can I, how can I work? What do you want me to do? And they give them a shovel and they say, this is what you're going to do. You're going to build this gate and you're going to build this gate and you're going to build this wall. And these people are coming from all over. But now, because confusion has rose, the strength is failing. People are questioning. Confusion is setting in. Fear sets in. People are feeling overwhelmed. And families are coming to them and saying, no, 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 don't go work on that wall. Don't join those people. Don't be on mission in that way. No, 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 don't, don't do that. They're coming in there and saying, why don't you just come home where it's safe? Why don't you just get out of there? And they're confused and they're afraid. That's what's happening. It starts to permeate to the people. But what does Nehemiah do? Look in verse 13. So when the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans. Everyone say clans. Listen, do you have a clan? Do you have a clan? Not do you have a family. Not do you have a husband or a wife. Not do you have these. Do you have a clan? of Christian believers that will stand by you. What does he do? He puts them in groups. Maybe they're called life groups. Just saying. They station the people by their clans with their swords and with their spears and with their bows. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Everyone say, don't be afraid. Do that was kind of sad. Say, do not be afraid. Okay, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Say, remember the Lord. There you go. He says, remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome and will fight. You fight. What do we fight for? We fight for a legacy. What are we standing for? We're standing for a legacy. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. This is the brave heart moment we've been waiting for. And so he stands up and he says, get in your clans. They grab their swords, they grab their spears, they grab what they need, and he says, listen, don't be afraid. 
Why? Nehemiah, he says, don't be afraid. Listen, not because we got a great plan, not because I'm an awesome leader, not because we have a strategy. Don't be afraid because the Lord is great. And the Lord is awesome. And I want you to remember that the hand of the Lord is upon us and he's called us and he's brought us together and he, that Lord, is great and he is awesome. So don't be afraid and fight. Fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your homes, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your legacy, the enemy. He wants to distract, he wants to discourage. And so our call is to pray and move forward remembering our God without fear because he is great and he is awesome and we're joined together with the people that God has put around us to say we're gonna follow God. We're gonna trust the glory of God. And so when the enemy starts to attack, the morale of the people. And the people look around and say, oh, this job is too much. This job is too small. Uh, yeah, we're, we're just remain faithful. We want to remain steadfast. It all seems so burdensome. And the enemy voice says, no, 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 you're just too busy to get involved. You're too busy. This is too much. Just walk away. Don't connect. Don't unite with them. It can't be done. It's too much. It's not even worth doing. That's the narrative that spreads among the people. He says, don't be afraid. Let's move forward. Let's move forward together. Remember that the Lord is great. Remembering that the Lord is awesome. And stand with your brothers, stand with your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And so my point is this, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than this small church in O'Fallon in a little storefront on Mexico Road. It's bigger than that. It's about a legacy, it's about God's glory. It's about standing firm in the face of opposition, putting your hands to the plow, not looking back. And so when there is discouragement, when there is opposition, and people are falling away, and, and, and we must stand together and not take the easy way out, when people are, are walking away and, and withdrawing from you, what do you do? You remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember how he's great and how he's awesome and how he's brought us out of Egypt and he's raised us up for a time just as this. And so to build up a people for his glory and we don't have to be afraid. All right, as the band comes, let me just close with this. Maybe you're here today and you've walked into church and you're facing some great opposition. And that opposition may be physical. That opposition may be emotional. It may be um, relational opposition. I'll tell you, it's spiritual opposition. And maybe your attack is coming from around you, and maybe that attack is coming from within yourself. And if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God today, you would say, I don't know what to do. Maybe you're here, you've walked into this place, and you are at the ledge's end. You are at the last thread in the rope. 
And you're coming to here this morning and you're saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep fighting. This situation that I'm facing, it seems too much. I I look around and it's just broken down rubble all around me. The gates are burned and the enemy is jeering and, 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 and I'm just trying to pretend that everything is okay when it's not. And in reality, you're feeling attacked. What do you do? You pray. You remember the Lord. And don't be afraid. Listen to me, friends. Don't be afraid. Because if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How, who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies more than that. More than that. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And he was raised. And now he sits at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. So just as the enemy is on your right side, physically surrounded we have a God who defeated death he defeated hell he defeated the grave and the Bible says that he intercedes for us it goes on it says who shall separate us from the love of Christ tribulation distress persecution famine nakedness sword It is is written, for we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, I tell you, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation would ever be able to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. So stand firm. Give it to God. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. He is with us. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus was tempted and attacked. Jesus was criticized. He was accused. He was betrayed and Jesus was beaten. People didn't just come and threaten to kill Jesus. They actually killed him. So listen, if you're in a battle, I know it's painful. And I know it seems scary. But listen to me when I say, Jesus knows your pain. He knows the struggle. If you're in a battle, I want you to know that Jesus understands. Jesus endured the most pain in the history of the world. Jesus, he, he, he came to us in the middle of our suffering. That was painful. Like literally, he left heaven. He went from being worshipped by angels to being opposed and hated. 
He endured the pain of coming to you. Did you know there was a time when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted? Tempted just like you and I. He says, hey, you need to stop this. Don't move forward. Don't start your ministry. Don't go forward. Don't don't just give in. Just give up. Just bow down. Take the easy route. Walk away. Stop the mission. There was a time that Jesus' own family thought he was nuts. Because he kept claiming to be the son of God. Judas Iscariot, he was a pretend friend. Ever have one of those? A pretend friend betrayed him. Peter denied him. The 12 deserted him. That's emotional pain, amen? Jesus spends the whole night in the garden crying out, sweating like drops of blood. It's the most painful thing in all of history because he knows that the cross is right before him. And he prays in that garden, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He's accused, he's beaten, and then he's nailed to a cross. He suffers emotionally, he's mocked publicly, his reputation is destroyed, he suffers psychologically, and he suffers physically. But the worst suffering of all time came upon Jesus as he hung on the cross. And that was a spiritual pain. When you hear your Savior say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the greatest pain that anyone in all of history could ever feel. And at that point, the Son of God absorbed and endured the wrath of God for you and I. He absorbed the wrath of God upon himself so that the enemies of God like you and me could be forgiven, saved, redeemed, built up for the glory of God. Jesus took our place and he puts us in his place. Jesus endured the greatest pain of all. Jesus died and Jesus rose. Jesus returned to heaven heaven, and he intercedes for us today. And so my charge to you, church, is remember Jesus and don't be afraid. There's nothing and there's no one above Jesus Christ. He rules and he reigns as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And because Jesus endured the greatest pain, that means you and I, through faith, get to experience the greatest victory. Don't be afraid. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave us a symbol to remember. In Corinthians chapter 11, He says, for I would receive from the Lord, I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, take and eat, do this. In what? In 
remembrance of me. In the same way, it says that he took the cup. And after he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of the shedding of blood. This is the cup that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. No more sacrifice to be made, nothing else to offer, no religious to be done, no works, no, no thing. It is my blood. Take and drink and do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim victory until he comes. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are holy. You are great. You are awesome. Lord, who can stand before the throne if it not for grace? Who could stand before your holy face if it not for grace? Who could approach a God so magnificent and worthy if it not for grace? Jesus, today, we humble our lives before you. We admit, we confess that we are in a great war for our affections, for our hearts, for our desires. And the only way that any one of us could overcome is your grace. And so today, oh Lord, would you take our hearts? Would you take our minds? Would you take our work that is totally and completely for you and allow us to persevere in the face of opposition because you are great and awesome. Jesus, today I ask that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would cleanse us of all our iniquity. Purify us from our sins. And make us new and clothe us today in your righteousness by faith. We are desperate. We are needy. And we trust that you are good. Let us now walk in your ways. Let us obey your word. Let us remember the Lord not be afraid for you are with us in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name amen I want to tell you that the Bible tells us that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved we'll be sealed we'll be covered by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins 
and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1. And so if you're here today and you've never confessed your need for Jesus as your Savior, you've never asked him to forgive you, you've never asked him to be your Lord, or you've never asked him to come into your life, I would tell you that this is the moment. This is the moment for you that God has allowed you to be here to hear the gospel and to give your life to him. And listen to me. If that's you, there's opposition. There's another voice that would say, no, don't do it. Don't give in. Don't submit to the Lord Jesus. And so today you can have victory. Victory in the truth of the word. Give your life to the Lord. If you're here today and you've done that, and you've confessed Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then this table is for you. This is a call for Christians to come to the table and to take a piece of bread and remember the body that was broken and take a cup and remember the blood that was shed so that we can have victory in our lives. And so the way we do that here is whenever you're ready, there's no formal dismissal, but you'll come down the middles. You can take communion at this table or this table or even the middle. Take your time. When you're done, you can take the cup and put it in the basket, but you can take communion at the tables and then you exit around the sides and back to your seats where we will close the service in worship. I'm with you and I love you. God's got a great plan for this body. Thanks.
was your foe, still your love far from me. You have been so, so good to me When I feel no worse, you paid it all for me Yes, you did Cause you have been so, so kind to me
Oh, evil. 